Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Ben. This is Joseph. Welcome to Four Corners for uh, the second week of our New Beginnings message series. And before we get rolling, we wanted to say welcome to you. And if you're our guest, a special welcome to you. When you came in and you sat down, you had to move some papers. And inside an envelope was a little uh, piece of paper that looks like this. It's our Connect card. If you'll give us your name and your address, we'll send you some coupons for free Chick-fil-A food. Just our way of saying thanks for being with us. We're not going to show up at your house or bombard you with information. We just want to say thanks for being a part of us. And we're going to use that card later in the service to take some next steps together. And if you fill out your name and email address if you're a regular attender and your name and your home address if you're our guest, you'll be prepared for that. Well, like I said, this is Joseph. Joseph is one of the newest members of our team. Uh, Joseph has come to us with some incredible experience. Um, he and his wife, Whitney, they have two young one-year-old twin girls. And um, Joseph is going to be a big part of what we're doing around here. Joseph, welcome. Yeah. Welcome to 4C. We've seen you for a couple times now in the videos. Mm -hmm. Tell everybody a little bit about you and where you come from. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in Texas. Uh, it's a little bit warmer there. Uh, I <laughs> uh, grew up in a pastor's home uh, all throughout my life. My dad's a great man, great home, very blessed to get to grow up in that. I uh, went to school at Lee University in Tennessee, great school. Uh, met my wife there, and uh, we moved to North Carolina for a few years. We were student pastors for about two and a half, uh, executive pastor for about three years in Charlotte, North Carolina. And as Pastor Ben said, we had twins uh, about 14 months ago. And as you guys know, family is very important, so we decided to move up here where my wife's family is from. So we moved up here a few months ago. And how's that going so far? Are you getting used to the temperature? Uh, no. <laughs> I shoveled snow for the first time in my life yesterday. Wow. Yeah. Well, if you would like some practice, I've got a driveway. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Hey, um, we had some transitions in our staff. and. Uh, uh, several months ago, Sophia, who is with her husband, Ethan, the leaders, directors, pastors of our uh, high school ministry, uh, had been my assistant. And if you had wanted to make an appointment with me, you would have called Sophia. And uh, she, she transitioned. And then Allison, who had been with Melissa, began to help me. And she also helps Ilsa, who leads our finances. Allison has moved full-time over to our kids' team. As you know, that ministry is just growing, growing, growing. And so I needed some help, and I, and I still do. And so Joseph is coming on to the team in part to help me. And moving forward from today, if you want to meet with me or communicate with me, you can shoot, shoot me an email at Ben at Four Corners Church, but it's going to go right to Joseph in terms of managing calendar and that sort of stuff. But that's not all he's going to do. Joseph is a very talented guy with a lot of experiences. And so while he's going to be kind of assisting me in some things, he's going to be assisting the entire team. And so he'll be one of our associate pastors who over time grows into a lot of responsibility. And the reason he's up here with you today is to tell you about one of the first things that lands on his plate. And uh, Joseph is going to help us get up to speed real quick with a major endeavor that we're doing because of your generosity with the Christmas offering. We're going to put some energy and focus on safety around here. And we already do that dramatically. It's not like we're catching up. But we're getting ready for all that God has for us. So safety and security in our broken and fallen world are things that we've taken seriously from day one. But we want to do a better job at that. And we know that there are skills and abilities and people in our audience and in our team who would like to be a part of that. And Joseph is going to lead that initiative for us. So, Joseph, when we talk about safety and security, kind of what are we talking about, first of all, so that we give some context? Yeah. So uh, we're really just kind of looking at making sure that our building is safe, that we're being very aware of what's going on. And Pastor Ben and I talked, uh, really, we just want to be good stewards. 
want to be good stewards of our building, good stewards of our time here. So currently what we're doing is we're in the process of seeking out some churches who we just believe are doing it right, uh, who have a very good system in place, who are very knowledgeable, and uh, some outside consultants. And just we really want to take our time with building this system and process to make sure when we implement it that we are very confident that we're implementing something that will be effective. Yeah, and so we're doing a lot of investigation. Mm-hmm. Now, um, last week there are a few dozen people who said they'd like to be a part of this. They were here. They heard about this amazing initiative that we're going to do. And so they said they want to be a part. Um, what are the first steps? Like, wh- what are we going to engage in? So we know what you're doing. What do people who want to serve, what should they do? Uh, you can check. Uh, I believe it's going to be one of the next steps today. You can check again. And uh, on the 28th, we're going to have a meeting right after our second service in the student auditorium. Uh, we're not looking to provide any answers. We're really just looking to maybe hear some concerns. Uh, we just believe that God has gifted a lot of people in here who think about things that, that I'm probably not going to think about. Uh, so we just love to sit down, hear some thoughts, hear some concerns. It'll just help us as we're building this process and thinking through it. So we're investigating some outside experts. We're gathering inside concerns and information but we're not making decisions yet. Not yet. No. About when do you think? Now, I, I didn't prep you for this, but what, what do you think? What do you think? Uh, I would think around Easter would yeah. probably be a good, a good time to, to roll it out. It'll give us a few months to make sure that we are well prepared and we don't just have the, uh, the, the coordination, but also the training in place that we can roll it out by then. That's right. And so what will happen is, is we already do some of this, but you're going to see some uh, increased engagement from the parking lot all the way through all of your experience here. And so there are some tools that we need to purchase. There's some training that needs to be done. There's some gathering that needs to happen. And if you want to be a part of that, the easiest and probably best way to get immediate information is to email Joseph. And so that would be joseph at fourcornerschurch.com. And you can say, hey, I'm interested. And you can call it safety. You can call it security. And again, so much of this happens behind the scene already. But if you would like to help lead with that, indicate like your level of engagement. Like, I think I might like would help to lead with that. And so here, here's the reality. There'll be some background checks for higher level stuff. Uh, and we're going to look for some age and maturity and for some of the, the, um, the stuff where it's just kind of broader team and you don't have quite the responsibility of leadership, then some of those uh, uh, thresholds will be lowered uh, just a bit. And what we want to do there is make sure that we are fully ready for all that God is doing here in this place and allow people to come in without worrying about any of that stuff. As a part of this, what you're going to see is that if you're a parent who has a kid in any of our ministry environments that we call 4C Kids, elementary or preschool, you're going to be able to go to a wall and see what's happening in that space at all time in the day. And when you have a guest and you're bringing them and they have kids and maybe they're a little bit nervous about what's going on and they've never really dropped off their kids to a church ministry and don't know who those people are, they can literally stand and watch their child and see if their child's crying the whole time. That rarely happens. And if they're engaged, that happens a lot. And what exactly is happening in that space? Because trust is often a function of transparency. And so I kind of believe in that verse in the Bible that says, trust but verify. That was Ronald Reagan, but it, it could have been in the Bible, but um, trust but verify. And so we do that with pretty much all of our systems around here. Joseph, we're so glad that you and Whitney have joined our team. I'm excited for this initial endeavor, and I'm excited for all that God's going to do with you as you serve alongside me and the rest of the pastors in this place. Would you guys welcome Joseph to our church officially? We love you. Well, I want to help you today um, learn a lesson that I keep having to learn over and over. And I'm hopeful that uh, when we get done today, what has taken me and it's taking me a lifetime to grab hold of will happen for you in the next few minutes. And just before we get there, if you want to, you can open up your message notes. They look like this. 
On the front of it is the information about our new focused effort, You, Me, and Us, focused intensity over time. We believe brings momentum. And on the, uh, the right-hand side, there is that stuff about the Christmas offering. I wanted to give you an update because God's certainly doing something good. If you were here last week, I told you about this. The bottom line is we blew the goal, the original goal, out of the water. We had set a goal of 100% participation and $80,000, and I mentioned last week we were at over $90,000, but we were somewhere in the mid-50s on participation level, and we thought there was a lot of room left for people to dream, and because we had some extra money, we accelerated things like this safety and security uh, initiative that we're going to do now at an accelerated rate. And the other thing we're going to do is we're going to create a different kind of sensory experience for kids who benefit from a different kind of sensory experience than what we typically offer. And you'll hear from Sabrina, the 4C Kids pastor, in a couple weeks or so talking more about that. And if you're interested at all, some of that information is right there for you in the message notes. And we're going to help students and kids who aren't quite fully engaging our environment, either temporarily or if that's a longer term thing for them. And we're going to create some space and serve parents and kids that way. But I wanted to tell you where we are. Thank you so much for responding. Um, Our new goal is 100% participation and $120,000. That takes the room environment that we're going to change, the training that has to happen because of the special needs involved in that space, and all these security initiatives that we're doing as well. It takes all of that and gets it done by Easter is what we think all of this will roll out with as opposed to over a couple year period of time. And so where we are right now, and again, I'm just like overwhelmed with gratitude, but I keep saying it every week that I don't know that you believe me, but I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude uh, for what you guys are doing. But we're approaching 60%, so if you wanted to write that in, 60% participation, and uh, we're at $103,000. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. And so if you haven't been a part of the Christmas offering, it, every year it ends in the end of January, so we're not extending the time anything special. Um, and when you give money to this, it goes to those initiatives. So when we hire somebody like Joseph, that comes out of the normal budget around here. We have budgeted money for staff, and when there's extra, the first thing I do, when, like when we're managing well and you guys are giving, I look to grow the team. A growing team often precedes a growing church, and so it's an investment in the ministry. And because you're faithful on the budget, we're able to do that. And when you give to the Christmas offering, that doesn't pay for lights and that sort of thing. It pays for the initiatives we're talking about. And uh, church money is very important. Uh, It's very important that you manage church money in in a very clear and tangible way. So this week, all of your contribution statements for the uh, giving in 2017 went out. And in the next three weeks, you'll get from us a year-end financial report on where all the dollars that were given over the year, how much it was, the categories, where it went, and kind of how we're doing as a church. And I'm really excited for you to get that report, all right? That goes out every year. And if you've given any money at all to the church, you'll get that report, all right? And if you haven't, and for some reason you don't get it, it's not secret information, um, you're certainly welcome to it. So if by, say, February 7th or 8th, you don't have that, just shoot me an email and I'll make sure you get that report, all right? So right now, I want to talk with you about your dreams for the year. I want to talk to you about the reality is that at a new year, most of us think about how we want this year to be better than last year. There are, for some of you in the room, there are some very big dreams that you hope to accomplish. And this year is just the next phase of your dreaming and your actualizing your dreams. And for others of you, the new year, the year ending, the new year starting gives you a chance to re-engage maybe some dormant dreams or set new ones. 
Will kind of jokingly said that one of his goals for this year is to eat a little less food. I'm wishing him really well. I'm not sure I'm getting on that bandwagon yet. All right? But I don't know what your dreams are, but you might have them. And if not just for the new year, when's the last time you thought honestly and deeply and engagingly about your dreams for your life? See, if you're still living, if you're still breathing, God has dreams that he wants you to step into. Dreams about your purpose and dreams about your family and how you use your time. It's often connected to the impact your life is going to make. In the last several weeks, I've been at a few funerals and got to hear people talk about the impact that life, that person's life, had made on others. I don't know how intentional these people were about it, but I know that in each case, every life touched bunches of lives. That's not accidental. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's exactly what God wants to do with your life. He wants to use your life, and then he uses all kinds of metaphors to describe it. He wants to use your life to bring light to others. He wants to use your life to give lift to others. He wants to use your life to serve others and bring about God's good purpose in their life. That's part of what makes life so special. You have people who are living God's dream, and because they did... They weren't perfect, but they were stepping into their dream. It has left an indelible mark on your life. I can't think about the dreams that I have without thinking about the people that have gone before me and the way they were living their lives and how it impacted them. But the spillover effect of them pursuing their dream was my life is changed for the good. I think about those pastors that decided that part of what God wanted to do with their life was to take young people starting out in ministry and invest deeply in them. And they got great joy from that. But I got changed in that. I think about my dad, whose father was taken early when my dad was an early teen and didn't know what it was to grow up in a home with a dad, deciding in prayer when he gave his life to Jesus that he would do fathering to the best of his ability. And he wasn't a perfect dad, but that commitment, that dream that he had, set the direction for his life, but it had a huge impact on me and my siblings. I want to encourage you to dream robustly, but today it isn't just about the dream. I I want to talk to you as somebody who has not just theory today, but experience with pressing into dreams and the challenge of pressing into dreams. Big or small, this year, if you set a goal, it isn't always going to be easy to get it. And if it is, you might not have set your goals high enough. A few stretch goals is kind of what I'm encouraging you to do. And when you have a dream, I've noticed they change your prayers. I, I, I want a good marriage. You know, I, I, want, I want mine and Jill's marriage to be inspirational. I want it to fully fill her bucket. I'd love for it to fill my bucket. I want it to bless our kids, and I want it to, to bless our church. And because that's a dream of mine... I, It affects my prayers and how I pray. I don't just pray for me. I pray for that person that is a big part of the life that I hope to live here on this earth. And I want to be a good dad. And it affects how I pray for my kids. I found that sometimes my most fervent times of prayer were directly connected to dreams and goals that I had, especially in seasons where I felt like maybe I was getting a little sideways from my dream or a goal. 
Jill and I maybe would be going through a, a tough season in our marriage. And I found that my prayers changed tone and content. And often I went through a bit of a cycle where I began to pray that God would change her. That's normally where I start. God, wake her up. Help her to see the error of her ways. Holy Spirit, convict her heart. Um, and you think I'm kidding, and I'm not exaggerating one bit. But eventually, God begins to speak to me about me, and I begin to pray, all right, God, there might be something in here for me too, I guess. I guess one of the reasons why you're not moving so quickly is, is you want me to grow. And interestingly enough, that's the exact dynamic I want to talk with you about today. That your dreams and the prayers that come because of your dreams and what you hope, those are wonderful things, and God is going to use that to grow you in a mighty way this year, I believe. I'm praying that at the end of this year, you can mark this year as a year of significant spiritual growth because you pursued some dreams. Many of them are inspired by God. And as you pursued them, God used the process to grow you. I know this, when you dream God-inspired dreams and you put steps in place to begin to fulfill it, I know a couple of things happen. You're about to embark on an amazing journey. But you will wrestle with things as you pursue your dreams, especially the ones inspired by God, that you might not have ever anticipated. There are going to be barriers and roadblocks. It's not all going to be cherries and roses. It's going to be difficult. Go ahead and decide that you're going to do something awesome, something great, and you're going to do something meaningful, especially if it's for others or in glory to God, and watch how things begin to pile up and make it apparently very difficult to do. See, something happens on a spiritual level when you begin to step into the dream that God has for you. Hell gets a little nervous. Every time a husband or a wife says, this year, our marriage is going to be more God-honoring. Hell gets a little nervous with that. It does. I mean, the enemy of your soul who wants nothing good for you, the Bible says his plans are to kill, steal, and destroy, gets a little nervous when you pray a bold prayer, God, this year, use me more. God, this year, grow me deeper spiritually. When you pray prayers like that because you're feeling motivated by something you believe God wants you to do, it doesn't just kickstart your heart. There's a whole flurry of activity around you. I don't know if you knew that or not. So I want to take you to a place in the Bible that gives us a little bit of an insight into what happens behind the curtain. When people around the threshold of pressing into their dreams. We're going to look in Luke chapter 2. You can go to your Bible on your phone, in your screen, in your message notes to follow along. And as you get there, I want to remind you of a few people that had big dreams from our Bible. Joseph had big dreams. He, in fact, he's called the dreamer often. And he had dreams of what God was going to do with his life, and yet he woke up in a prison. And Moses had a dream to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, but he found the heat of the desert pretty unbearable at times, and not just the temperature, just the pressures of life. Paul had a dream to reach people with the gospel, but hell got threatened, and so he found himself beaten, stoned, and shipwrecked, and left for dead over and over again. 
Now he's pressing into his dream, but there were obstacles and barriers. And there were a group of people that gathered around Jesus. We call them the apostles or the disciples. And as we watch Jesus interact with them, we get incredible insight into the way Jesus grows people. Because they begin at the beginning, but by the time our New Testament closes, this ragtag group of people has set the world on fire. And the dreams that they had for themselves and the dreams that God had for them conspired together to bring incredible change. But it wasn't always easy. And so when you watch Jesus interact with these folks, you get some insight into the development process and how dreams actually become reality. In the particular story we're looking at today, Jesus is hanging around with the disciples and he gives us what I think is one of the most interesting, one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. And it's one that if I could white out a bit, and I know that's sacrilegious, but if I could white out, I'd, I'd do a little white out right here, kind of Ben's revised version of the Bible. But we don't do that here in this church. We let the Bible speak for itself. So here's what our verse says. Jesus is talking to Simon. We call him Peter. And Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, asked to sift you all as wheat. Now, I, the, the version I have here, the NIV, does a really good job of, of making clear that the you being spoke about from Jesus is not just Peter, but the whole group, and honestly, all disciples. The enemy wants to sift you. And that sifting process was throwing the wheat and the, and the other pieces of the plant up into the air, and the wheat being heavier, the wind would hit that mixture thrown into the air, and it would begin to carry away the lighter stuff, the other pieces of the dried plant, but the heavier wheat would fall straight down. So you go through the process of throwing wheat into the wind and the chaff gets blown away. That's the sifting process. Satan has desired to throw you to the wind. He's desired to throw you up to see what comes back down. And I want to make it clear to you, that's exactly what he wants for you right now. That's his plan, to sift you like wheat. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but look at this next phrase. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. When my kids uh, were a little bit younger, we spent quite a bit of time at Dave and Buster's. It's a wonderful place. It's quite expensive, but it's one of their favorite places to go. And, and I know that what I'm getting ready to say next is going to offend a handful of PETA lovers, but... Uh, no animals were harmed in the telling of this illustration whatsoever, all right? And one of our favorite games was called Big Buck Hunter. And there were two rifles attached to this video screen. And we'd go up, and the whole point was to shoot as many animals as quickly as you could. I know it's horrible, but that's what we did, all right? My kids still have turned out fairly okay, all right? They're a little, little messed up, but... So here we are playing this Big Buck. And, 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 and when we first started playing, we'd swipe our card and... It's a little interesting there because you used to have to put a quarter in, but now you swipe and you don't really know how much money you're. It's a whole lot more than a quarter now is all I want to say. Anyway, separate point, just helping out the people on a budget, all right? So anyway, you, you swipe your card and the whole screen begins to shift and there's some instructions, but heck, we know what we're doing. So we don't even pay attention to the instructions. We just start shooting. And the first couple of times we played, like the game would end quickly. And so the next couple times we decided to play. I said, let's just slow down. Let's read the instructions. And the first several screens are all about what to shoot. Uninterestingly, what not to shoot. Okay, that, that makes sense. And not only what to shoot, but where to shoot it. Because there's a place on an animal. I don't know for real. I'm playing a video game. Remember, this is an illustration. All right. 
But evidently there are some places you can shoot that have an immediate impact on the animal and other places don't. And you get more points for deadly accurate shooting. I, I, that's an illustration. And, but when I think about that game and I think about what I want to talk with you about today, I want you to know that the enemy of your soul has been around long enough to know exactly where it is to touch your life to bring the greatest calamity. It's almost like he has a, a manual in front of him and each page is a person and your name's there. And if I hit Joe here or Susie here, it's going to really get them off track. Like this is their spot of greatest vulnerability. He's just been around a long time. He knows he's not all knowing, but he's been around a lot. When you begin to dream and press in and pray dangerous prayers like God use me and I surrender and here's Lord what I'll do and all when you, what happens is is the page gets turned to you and hell leverages the forces that's not something I'm making up that's what Jesus said to Peter in the plural Satan has desired to sift all of you as wheat. Now, if your constitution is not strong enough, uh, that leaves you quaking in your boots. Or if you are in the middle of it and you like, yeah, that kind of explains where we've been lately. You can feel a certain fatigue in the journey kick in. It reminds me a little bit about the, uh, a football team as they huddle. And when the offense is huddling, the defense gets a chance to sit back and not pay attention and Offense is all engaged, but the moment they snap that ball, defense is rolling. They look at the opposing players, and they try to get in their head. And This is what happens when you go on the offensive with the dream and the call God has put in your life. The defensive forces of darkness, they rally. And so Jesus says to Peter, you're about to go on an interesting journey. You're going to feel like wheat tossed to the wind. You're not going to know up from down. But that's not all he said. What he said was, but I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. When I think about how the enemy goes after us. When I've seen in my own life, as I've watched others, as I've chatted with some of you, when I think about how he goes after, there are some things he knows he cannot take. Like, for instance, theologically speaking, the enemy of your soul cannot steal your salvation. Your salvation is secure. That is locked up in the work of Jesus. The enemy of your soul cannot take that away from you. That is the security of the believer. It's the power of Jesus is greater than anything else. So since he can't take your salvation, what he'll do is he'll try to take the joy out of your salvation. That's why biblical writers focus so much on joy. They say, for instance, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Like you're as saved as you can be when you give your life to Christ. But sometimes the joy of your salvation isn't present. 
It's what the enemy of your soul does, and since he can't take your salvation, he comes after your joy. That's why when David had failed in Psalm 51, and he writes his prayer of confession about his failure and his darkness, he says these words, cast me not away from your presence, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, and then the last line, and restore to me the joy of my salvation. Like I'm wondering if at the beginning of this year, and God has a lot for you, if while you're genuinely saved, you're in a relationship, I'm wondering if there's any believers in the room, any of my brothers and sisters who would say, I bet I make it to heaven, but I'm not so happy right now. Like, I'm not enjoying this. That's okay. It's normal. It could be that you're in a sifting season. You're in a sifting season. It happens. It's part of the deal. Now, I know it's the beginning of the year, and I'm supposed to just rah, rah, and get you fired up and get some emotion going. But I'm more interested in your growth this year. I'm more interested in your development than just you feeling good at the end of a talk. And I believe if you understand the tactics and what God's doing, and you get a vision for where he's really going, it can help you sustain yourself through the seasons. The enemy knows he can't take away your marriage. Your marriage is a covenant between you, God, and that individual. So what does he do? He attacks the joy in your marriage. And when he attacks the joy in your marriage, even though he can't take it, for a lot of us, we'll walk away. And he can't steal the call on your life. He doesn't have that kind of power or authority. So he takes the joy out of your call. What's at stake then is the enjoyment of the journey that God is putting you on to both make your life count and be meaningful, be enjoyable for you. And there's nothing the enemy loves more than to fill churches and families and leadership roles with joyless people. He loves it. It accomplishes so much for his side. So I want to show you a little bit about the journey of joy as you approach your dreams. Because for some of us, life's going to get a little rough this year. Some of you are there right now, and I'm going to help you understand what's going on. So in your message notes, now listen, this is just a pastor talking. I can't take you to the passage that explains all this. This comes from some scripture and from some life experience. I think it's very biblical. It's, all, it's just not fully teased out in the way I'm going to do right now in Scripture. So you can follow along. But what we have here is a bit of a graph. 100%, 50%, zero. And over here, we got some time right, happening. This is your lifeline. So I want to take you through kind of an imaginary scenario of a couple people, kind of their life and how this stuff happens. What's going on? You know, they, they at the beginning of the year and they pray a prayer, God use me. Or God gets a hold of them and they say, this year our marriage is going to grow. Or they step in and they say, this year I'm going to pursue some ministry that God's put in front of me. I'm not just going to live for me, but I'm going to carve out some time and do something great. Or in our church, this happened a bunch last year. People said in a moment, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Like they start something. So here they are down here. And uh, I'm going to draw a few boxes here, but this is the, the level of their faith when they begin. But this is the level of their faith. They just started their journey, or they, they're, they're pressing into a new reality, and so they make a commitment. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And they love in life, and 
things are going good and they come to, to church next week and they grow just a little bit in their faith. They open their heart to the word of God and I'm on that week and Will fill, uh, sings a, their favorite song and they get lifted up a little bit and they're feeling pretty good and people smile at them in church and they talk and they, they come back the next week and they, they grow a little bit there and they're feeling good. This is what's happening to their faith level but if you talk to them, this is what it feels like when you talk to these people. Praise God. I'm just, whoo, I'm feeling awesome. Life's good. God's good. God is good all the time. And they're feeling really good about life. And again, Will's singing their songs and they're enjoying things. And there's a few little dips in there, but they're way up here. They're just enjoying the Lord and coming here and people are friendly and they get out of church and their kids say, we want to go back to that church. And they're like, "Woo, this is awesome. A little Ric Flair in there, if you're wondering. They're lo- I grew up in the South and wrestling was my thing. I told you that a few weeks ago. So they're loving life. This is what we call zeal. You know zeal? They're zealous. They're enjoy- they're- their enjoyment factor is really high. Now, they're young in their faith or they're young in this endeavor. So the level of their faith is a little lower. And sometimes when you talk to people that are very zealous, especially if they know a little scripture, it sounds like there's a lot of depth there. But interestingly enough, even in matters of faith, we can talk and we can project and we can Facebook sometimes more zeal than what is actually there in depth. That's not bad. It's okay. I love zeal. Zeal gets the world moving. Zeal gets you up sometimes in the morning. I mean, zeal's not bad. I get pumped up sometimes. Zeal's a good thing. These aren't right and wrong, but zeal isn't necessarily depth. What happens as they're kind of enjoying their journey and they're growing on? Maybe they get baptized. We get a big bump there and they're growing and their faith is changing. And I tell them to leave it in the water and they come up and they, to the, they left it in the water. And Ric Flair's at it again. He's loving, you know, woo! We're there. And it's like, this is awesome. And even though like we don't have a lot of exuberance here in our room because we're nice Midwestern folks, about 60% of us were Catholic before we got here. And we're like, can you even clap? You know, kind of stuff. It's okay, but they're like, like, you know, almost Pentecostal. They're like, can I do this? I, what do I, I, but they got it. They feel it, right? This is just the way it happens. And over time you grow and that is the wrong color, but you grow and you grow. And on occasion, there's a little bit of a setback. And I, listen, I don't know how you measure faith, but it's a big deal to God. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. This trust factor, the the depth of your life. And as a pastor, man, when I see somebody that's zealous and they're enjoying life, I get stoked. I get stoked for what God's going to do with that. I want to run as fast as we can while that zeal is there. Give them as many experiences and put them in the word of God. Some of people, they'll read the Bible for like the first time And they're a little confused by some of the stuff, but they're doing it and they're just feeling awesome about what God's doing in their life. And they're in They pray and there's some honesty and they have hard conversations and they're growing. But you know what happens to zeal, don't you? I mean, do you know? It's very difficult to sustain. So what happens is a particular Sunday they walk in and for whatever reason, it's just 
not personal, but it feels very personal. They walk in that day and nobody said hello to them. Like it was an accident, but in that particular moment, or on that particular day, uh, some member of the worship band who is all young and cool and hip um, did something that kind of threw them off. Maybe Will didn't sing their favorite song. Maybe somebody's skinny jeans were too skinny or not skinny enough. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't take much sometimes, but that's the nature of zeal. That's just the nature of it. Or, you know, the pastor made an announcement and didn't do it well or some piece of detail. Meanwhile, down here, they're still doing the stuff. Maybe they go to a men's conference, you know. Woo! God's good. And here they are, you know. They get a little bump there. They go home. They want to tell their wife all about the men's conference. And the wife says, shut up, honey. Take out the trash. <laughs> right? Come on. You can fill in your ups and downs. You got them. I got, I, I got, I got, you got yours. I got mine. That's the nature of zeal. It's at this point right here. It's at this point right here. Something happens. What happens for a lot of folks, this is the very point where they drop out. That's what happens for a lot of folks. It's like the zeal drops, and for them, zeal was the thing. But they didn't realize that over time, zeal is zeal. But faith is faith. And faith isn't built on feelings. Feelings can be a part of it, but faith doesn't build feelings, and faith isn't feelings. Jesus told Simon, I'm going to pray that your faith not fail. He didn't say, I'm going to pray you feel great. So that's how I'd have written that passage. <laughs> Satan has desired to shift you as wheat, but I looked at him and said, oh, no, not him. Don't touch him. But that's not what the Bible says. A lot of folks drop out of here, and here's why. Because this area right here, this gap, I'm going to give you the Greek word for this gap. You, you may have heard it before. It's called air. That's not a Greek word. That's an English word. It's nothing. No, it's something, but you can't build on it. It's not solid. Nothing wrong with zeal. I love zeal. But zeal isn't your faith. Now, some people drop out. Other people, you know, they, maybe they take a little hit. Time keeps moving forward, but they decide, you know, um, I'm going to keep on keeping on. Yeah, that week wasn't good, but I'm going to go ahead and get up anyway. And even if the kids cry all the way to church, we're going, by goodness, if we're 10 minutes late, we're going to get there. And they, they just kind of keep on week in, week out. It's church, it's devotion. They talk to a friend. And sometimes the zeal rebounds, and other times it kind of tracks, you know, all over the place. I remember when I was uh, starting out in ministry, I was so excited. I got a call from a mentor one day, a mentor in college, and he says, hey, I've taken this church in Tampa, and I want you to, to come help me. I'll give you a job. And I was like, eh, I got a job. I'm thinking out loud. And then he says words I'll never forget. He said, I know you're in grad school. I'll pay for it and give you a place to live. I'm like, I think I hear the Lord. I think Jesus is speaking right now. So I, I go work with my mentor and I'm telling for the six months, we are rocking and rolling. He had taken over a church where there were all kinds of challenges, but he's a really great leader. And 
So we were doing so well. We're experiencing a handful of losses as the church continued to deal with the previous stuff that had happened. And he's working through the mess of some morality issues, some financial issues, and just some bad alignment issues. And so we're working through all that. And about six months in, he calls a big staff meeting. He says, look, the projections are good, but they're not great. This church had a couple thousand people in it and he says, we're going to have to make some, uh, some hard decisions here. Um, God's future for this church is good, but his future for some of you is going to change. So they began to cut some folks. Well, he, I was his buddy, so I made the first round of cuts. Woo! I was all good. You know, I'm praying for my friends. You know, I'm feeling awesome. But a few months later, we're doing fine, but it's not awesome. And he's like, we're going to have to make a few more cuts. So I found myself on a Wednesday afternoon with a few-month-old daughter living in a church-owned house that was about to be taken away because I had lost my job about three weeks before Christmas. And I'm like, this stinks. This is horrible. And I'm like 22, 23. I, I, as far as I know, it's over. I mean, here I had given myself in undergrad work and changed direction and pursuing graduate work and working like a dog because my dad didn't raise any lazy boys. And I'm thinking, I'm, and I am confronting the realities of life. My dreams, I thought were over and my zeal took a dip. And I, I, I was ready to cash out. It's a similar thing that happened about a year into my marriage. There's this woman I love. I'd do anything for her. And a year into our marriage, we're sleeping back to back. Because there's a little bit of, quite a bit of, ugh. And I'm thinking, I'm trapped. And my zeal dropped big time. And God began to teach me through a variety of ways that zeal is zeal. It's awesome. But faith is something different. Faith is somehow connected to the word Faithful. And there's something about just getting up and doing the thing. So getting up the day after the big fight with Jill a year into our marriage and looking at her and saying, look, I, I still think I'm right. I'm not even really sure what we're arguing about, but I'm with you. And it's like getting up on Thursday morning. And interestingly, in that season of my life, I was in the middle of pursuing ordination in the denomination I grew up. And so here I am going to an ordination meeting on Thursday and on Wednesday, I've just lost my job. Not even sure I want to do this anymore. My God, you have a funny sense of humor. I'm not even sure I'm going to do this and I'm going to go get grilled for about four hours. This ain't working for me. But I got up and I did it because that's what you do. What helps you get past this a little bit, this is what business writers are calling it. It's called grit. Stick with itness. The Bible calls it faithfulness. So you keep going, you know, you, you stick with it. You try to just keep going. And there are a few hits here and there. You know, I don't know how it all works, but you just keep at it. And 10 years later, you find yourself at a Christian school, but you didn't want to be at a Christian school. You wanted to be pastoring. And so you're pastoring, but you're not really doing your thing. So you, you sit down with your pastor and you say, I want to 
I want to give my life to the local church. So my denomination has an opportunity for me out west. And they got a parsonage. That's a house church's own that pastors can live in. And they have a car allotment. And I got four kids. Like I got needs. And so he looks you dead in the eyes and he says, you could do that. I'm happy for you. Woo! But don't do that. Take some money and go wherever you want in the world and start a church. I'm like, no, no. And then I can't sleep. That's how Four Corners began. God began to stir in my heart, and I'm one foot in front of the other. Let me tell you what happens. See, over time, what God's doing is he's growing your faith. He's growing your faith, and your zeal, over time, begins to track more in alignment. Maybe just above, maybe just a little bit below. But there becomes to get to be harmony between your emotion and what was simply zeal and air over time becomes joy. See, joy doesn't dissipate only or radically when hard things happen. It's why I can sit down with a handful of wonderful saints of God who've been faithful for years and they know they have weeks to live. And they don't like it. There's a certain sadness and they're worried about their friends and their family. And, but there is a joy. It's what made the Apostle Paul write the words. <laughs> we sorrow, but we don't sorrow like people who don't have hope. Now, let me tell you what your faith is there in your message notes. There's just two blanks today. Faith... Faith is trusting in advance what's only going to make sense in reverse. God, I trust you. I believe you're at work. I take you at your word when you say you will work all things for my good because it ain't feeling so good right now. <laughs> trust is saying along with the, uh, the apostle Paul. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I can't in my own do much of anything right now. Faith is what the writer of Hebrews was getting at when he said that in his flesh, when he was a human, Jesus cried with loud prayers unto God who he knew could save him. And I thought, when's the last time I cried out with loud prayers? Over time, your faith gets built. What's at stake is the quality of your marriage. The, the quality of your experience with God, the quality of the call in the ministry, that's what's at stake. And God will grow your faith over time. I, I wish that Jesus was the bridge over troubled waters and I'm over here and there's the trouble and he just take me over. I like the song. I just found it not to be true. Let me tell you what he does to me. He looks at me and says, Ben, let's go. Down here in the mud. That's what, it, that's what happens. And if I'm not careful, I resent it. I get frustrated. But we come through something and he looks down and he says, you're still holding my hand. And I realize he's still holding mine. Some of you are there now. Some of you will get there. It's not an issue if you're going to experience this. It's a matter of when. And it's not that God has turned his back on you. He is growing your faith. Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. 
And when you have, when you have turned, when you have turned, when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. See, hope, (laughs) hope is your testing is building your testimony. That's your hope. I've got a couple scriptures for you and some ways to pray. But I want to take you to James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> Consider it pure joy, and trials do not belong in the same sentence. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, faithfulness. The testing of your faith produces faithfulness. Let faithfulness or let perseverance finish its work in you that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm going to tell you a story, then we're going to take some steps. There was a man who was a great carpenter, and he worked for the same builder for years, his entire career. He was the best builder. He got the biggest jobs. He did the best work. And he was approaching older age, and he looks at his boss one day and says, Hey, I'm going to retire soon. I'm going to get these jobs done, but I just want you to know, like I'm, I'm, I've been hinting, I'm actually going to bow out. My wife and I got things we want to do. And this friend, employer, looks at him and says, sure, yeah, that's fine. So he gets done with the project list. He comes in and he, he says, I'm all done, so I'm going I'm to go ahead and retire. And his a, friend and employer says to him, like, I, got, I, I know, but I got like one more job for you. One more job. I don't really want to do it. Wife and I got some plans. Look, would you do just, just one, there's one more house to build. So he grudgingly says yes, walks outside, kind of kicks the curb and gets into his car. And in the days to come, he begins to get onto the project. He's a great builder, so typically his miters are perfect to ride on. But in this job, if they were a little off, he was like, ah, it's okay, just leave it. You know, put another nail in it, it'll hold. And if he had to like stuff the insulation into the corners, like typically he was careful and this one, he's like, hey, we're close enough. And he gets the job done. He goes back in. He says, I'm done. I'm not taking anything else. And his boss looks at him and says, you've been such a faithful, faithful worker. We would not have done as well. You, you were a big part of what you did. And I'm sorry that I asked you to do this job, but really what I want for you is to know that we love and appreciate you. And the house you just built is yours. It's your house. And I just, that, that story's made up. Like, that may have happened, it may not. I, I don't know if it really did or not. But just think about had he known that what he was working on was his own house, the house that he was going to enjoy for the rest of his time, how much effort and energy and carefulness he would have put into it. I think we forget that what's at stake here is not Jesus. He's going to be fine. It's you. And your faithfulness matters to God. Like it matters. Your faithfulness to your spouse, it matters to God. But it's not just to God. It's going to impact you. You're building the life that you will live in. And when zeal has gone, what's left in the sifting processes, as Jesus is saying, I'm praying for you because he's for you. And I'm just learning that when Jesus prays for you, 
you're going to be okay. You can bank on that. It'll be fine, even when it's not awesome. You're building a life with him that you will not regret. And that's what I want for you this year. I want you to grab out your connect card. Let's take a few steps together. If you have not yet asked Jesus to be the Lord and shepherd of your life, why don't you take that pen if you feel compelled and check next that day that says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. We're going to pray in a minute. You can do business with God. Agree with what the Bible says. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. I'll trust the work you've done on your cross and in your resurrection. How about next step B? Today I'm choosing to be baptized. Already six adults are getting baptized in February. And you want to go public with your faith? Go ahead and check it. We'll start that conversation with you. Next step C is a prayer I'm offering. If this, what we've been talking about, resonates with you at all. Here's what it says. God used me, or God used this testing to build in me a testimony. Use this testing to build in me a testimony that will bring you glory and strengthen others. Simon, when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. It's not all about you. God's going to use your life as a testimony, and it's going to glorify him, and it's going to help others. Now, next step D is about the if tables, ladies. This is a gathering of ladies who get together over dinner. They have meaningful conversations for a couple of hours. And if you want to be a part of that or or host it on the 19th or 20th, just check the box. We'll send you the link to RSVP. The size of our church just requires more and more clear communication to make sure we're fully ready for all the quality experiences we want to bring you. And the next step, E, says contact me about serving on the... uh, the church family, the security, the parking, all that stuff we were talking about in these initiatives with the Christmas offering, and we'll send you that information as well, all right? Why don't you take your Connect card, set it aside. You call this church home. Um, this is the point in our service where we're going to give back to God and tithe and offerings. I'll tell you what my dad taught me about this is that everything I get comes from the Lord. And so I give back to him a portion of it, And when I do that, God honors the rest. I know people get weird about that sort of thing. But I'm just going to tell you, in my life and in my family's life, I've seen it to be true. That when I see God's hand of blessing in my life and I give back to him a portion of what he's blessed me with, the rest of it seems to go better. And dozens of folks in this room have experienced the same thing. They're not abundantly blessed with money, but they have more than they need. They, They can eat and have some money left over. And they see God at work in that. And so they give back to God a portion of what he's blessed them with. And they do. God has done great things with it. And you're going to be thrilled by the financial report of this church. As faithful people have given to make things happen. It allows us to grow our staff. It allows us to press into new ministries. But for each person who's been a part of it, their life is blessed as well. If you'd like to give today. You can put it in the offering envelope market Christmas, perhaps, or just give it to the general offering, and we'll make sure that the ministries of this church happen. Why don't we pray about our next steps? I want to pray for people who are being sifted, and I want to pray that God makes our ministry very effective and very deep in the lives of people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you, Lord, that you have prayed for us that our faith not fail. I lift up my brothers and sisters in this room. I ask you, Jesus, 
to show yourself faithful to them and to build into them a faithfulness, a grit, a stick with itness. God, some of us are following you, but we've lost the joy of our salvation. Some of us are married and we've lost the joy in our marriage. And we're doing ministry and we've lost the joy of ministry. I pray, Lord, that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation, the joy of being in a covenant relationship, the joy of serving others. That even if we're sifted, what is weighty and needy and solid would fall back into place. I pray for men and women that are declaring, Jesus, save me. Wash away my sins. I trust only the work that you've accomplished, nothing I bring. I trust you alone to save me. And Father, would you bless our offering today? We're already blessed people, but would you make this money go far and wide for your good purposes, to the changing of lives, to the spreading of the gospel, to the glory of Jesus? We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. God's strong and holy son. Amen.